Chapter 6 of The Pharaoh and the Priest. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Pharaoh and the Priest by Boleslaw Proust. Translated by Jeremiah Curtin. Chapter 6. The entrance to the Pharaoh's palace at Memphis was through a gate placed between two lofty towers of pylons. The external walls of these buildings were of gray sandstone covered from foundation to summit with boss reliefs. At the top of the gate rose the arms of the state, or its symbol, a winged globe from behind which appeared two serpents. Lower down sat a series of gods to which the pharaohs were bringing offerings. On side pillars, images of the gods were cut out also in five rows one above the other, while below were hieroglyphic inscriptions. On the walls of each pylon, the chief place was occupied by a flat sculpture of Ramses the Great, who held in one hand an uplifted axe, and grasped in the other by the hair of the head, a crowd of people tied in a bundle, like parsley. Above the king stood or sat two rows of gods, still higher, a line of people with offerings. At the very summit of the pylons were winged serpents intertwined with scarabs. Those pylons, with walls narrowing towards the top, the gate which connected them, the flat sculptures in which order was mingled with gloomy fantasy and piety with cruelty, produced a tremendous impression. It seemed difficult to enter that place, impossible to go out, and a burden to live there. From the gate, before which stood troops and a throng of small officials, those who entered came into a court surrounded by porticos resting on pillars. That was an ornamental garden, in which were cultivated aloes, palms, pomegranates, and cedars in pots, all placed in rows and selected according to size. In the middle shot up a fountain. The paths were sprinkled with colored sand. Under the gallery sat or walked higher officials of the state, speaking in low tones. From the court, through a high door, the visitor passed to a hall of twelve lofty columns. The hall was large. But as the columns also were large, the hall seemed diminutive. It was lighted by small windows in the walls and through a rectangular opening in the roof. Coolness and shade prevailed there. The shade was almost a gloom, which did not, however, prevent him who entered from seeing the yellow walls and pillars covered with lines of paintings. At the top, leaves and flowers were represented. Lower down, the gods. Still lower, people who carried their statues or brought them offerings, and between these groups were lines of hieroglyphs. All this was painted in clear, almost glaring colors, green, red, and blue. In this hall, with its very mosaic pavement, stood in silence, white, robed, and barefoot, the priests, the highest dignitaries of state. Herhor, the minister of war, also the leaders Nidtagar and Patrocles, who had been summoned to the presence of the pharaoh. His Holiness Ramses the Twelfth, as usual before he held council, was placing offerings before the gods in his chapel. This continued rather long. Every moment some priest or official ran in from the more distant chambers and communicated news touching the course of the service. The Lord has broken the seal to the chapel. He is washing the sacred divinity. Now he is putting it away. Now he has closed the door. On the face of the courtiers, notwithstanding their offices, 
concern and humility were evident. But Herhor was indifferent, Patrocles impatient, and Nitager now and then disturbed with his deep voice the solemn silence. After every such implied sound from the old leader, the courtiers moved like frightened sheep and looked at one another as if saying, This rustic has been hunting barbarians all his life. We may pardon him. From remote chambers were heard the sound of bells and the clatter of weapons. Into the hall came in two ranks some tens of the guard in gilt helmets and breastplates and with drawn swords. Next, two ranks of priests, and at last appeared the pharaoh carried in a litter, surrounded by clouds of smoke and incense. The ruler of Egypt, Ramses the Twelfth, was nearly sixty years old. His face was withered. He wore a white mantle. On his head was a red and white cap with a golden serpent. In his hand he held a long staff. When the routine showed itself, all present fell on their faces, except Patrocles, who, as a barbarian, stopped at a low bow, while Nitager knelt on one knee, but soon rose again. The litter stopped before a baldachin, under which was an ebony throne on an elevation. The pharaoh descended slowly from the litter, looked a while at those present, and then taking his seat on the throne, gazed fixedly at the cornice on which was painted a rose-colored globe with blue wings and green serpents. On the right of the pharaoh stood the chief scribe, on the left a judge with the staff. Both wore immense wigs. At the sign from the judge all sat down or knelt on the pavement, while the scribe said to the pharaoh, Our lord and mighty ruler, thou servant and tagger, the great guard on the eastern boundary, has come to render thee homage, and has brought tribute from conquered nations, a vase of green stone filled with gold, three hundred oxen, a hundred horses, and the fragrant wood to Shep. That is a mean tribute, my lord, said Nitager. Real treasures we can find only on the Euphrates, where splendid kings, though weak so far, need much to be reminded of Ramses the Great. Answer, my servant Nitager, said the pharaoh to the scribe that his words will be taken under careful consideration. But now ask him what he thinks of the military ability of my son and heir, whom he had the honor of meeting near Pi Balios yesterday. Our lord, the master of nine nations, ask thee, Nitager, began the scribe. But the leader interrupted quickly to the great dissatisfaction of the courtiers. I hear myself what my lord says. Only the heir to the throne could be his mouth when he turns to me, not thou, chief scribe. The scribe looked with consternation at the daring leader, but the pharaoh answered, My faithful Nintagar speaks truth. The minister of war bowed. Now the judge announced to all present, to the priests, the officials, and the guards, that they might go to the palace courtyard, and he himself, bowing to the throne, was the first to go thither. In the hall remained only the pharaoh, Herhor, and the two leaders. Incline thy ears, O sovereign, and listen to complaints, began Nitager. This morning the official priest, who came at thy command to anoint my hair, told me that in going to thee I was to leave my sandals in the entrance hall. Meanwhile, it is known not only in Upper and Lower Egypt, but in the Hittite country, Libya, Phoenicia, and the land of Punt, that twenty years ago thou didst give me the right to stand before thee in sandals. 
Thou speakest truth, said the pharaoh. Various disorders have crept into the court ceremonial. Only give command, O king, and my veterans will produce order immediately, added Nitager. At the sign given by the minister of war, a number of officials ran in. One brought sandals and put them on Nitager's feet. Others put down costly stools for the minister and leaders. When the three dignitaries were seated, Ramses the twelfth said, Tell me, Nitager, dost thou think that my son will be a leader? But tell pure truth. By Amon of Thebes, by the glory of my ancestors in whom was blood royal, I swear that thy heir, Prince Ramses, will be a great leader if the gods permit, replied Nitager. He is a young man, a lad yet. Still, he concentrated his regiments, eased their march, and provided for them. He pleased me most of all by this, that he did not lose his head when I cut off the road before him, but led his men to the attack. He will be a leader, and will conquer the Assyrians, whom we must vanquish today, there not to be seen on the Nile by our grandchildren. What dost thou say to that? inquired the pharaoh of Herhor. As to the Assyrians, I think that the worthy Nitager is concerned about them too early. We must strengthen ourselves well before we begin a new war. As to the heir, Nitager says justly that the young man has the qualities of a leader. He is as keen as a fox, and has the energy of a lion. Still, he made many blunders yesterday. Who among us has not made them put in Patrocles silent thus far? The heir, continued the minister, led the main corpse wisely, but he neglected his staff. Though this negligent, we marched so slowly and in such disorder that Nitager was able to cut off the road before us. Perhaps Ramses counted on your dignity, said Nitager. In government and war we must count on no man. One unreckoned little stone may overturn everything, said the minister. If thou, worthiness, answered Patrocles, had not pushed the columns from the road because of those scarabs, Thou worthiness art a foreigner and an unbeliever, retorted Herhor, hence this speech. But we Egyptians understand that when the people and the soldiers cease to reverence the scarabs, their sons will cease to fear Uraeus the serpent. From contempt of the gods is born revolt against the pharaohs. But what are axes for? asked Nitager. Whoso wishes to keep a head on his soldiers, let him listen to the supreme commander. What, then, is your final opinion of the heir? asked the pharaoh of Herhor. Living image of the sun, child of the gods, replied minister, command to anoint Ramses, give him a grand chain and ten talents, but do not appoint him yet to command the corps in Memphis. The prince is too young for that office, too passionate and inexperienced. Can we recognize him? as the equal of Patrocles, who has trampled the Ethiopians and the Libyans in twenty battles? Or can we place him at the side of Nitager, whose name alone brings pallor to our northern and eastern enemies? The pharaoh rested his head on his hand, meditated, and said, Depart with my favor and in peace. I will do what is indicated by wisdom and justice. The dignitaries bowed low, and Ramses the twelfth, without waiting for his suite, passed to remoter chambers. 
when the two leaders found themselves alone in the entrance hall, Nitagra said to Patrocles, Here priests rule as in their own house. I see that. But what a leader that Erhor is. He vanquished us before we spoke. He does not grant a corpse to their heir. He praised me so that I dare not utter a word, said Patrocles. He is far-seeing and does not tell all he thinks. In the wake of the heir, various young lords who go toward taking singers would have shown themselves to the corps, and they would occupy the highest places. Naturally, old officers would fall into idleness from anger, because promotion had missed them. The exquisites would be idle for the sake of amusement, and the corps would break up without even meeting an army. Oh, Erhor is a sage. May his wisdom not cost thee more than the inexperience of Ramses, whispered Patrocles. Through a series of chambers filled with columns and adorned with paintings, where at each door priests and palace officials gave low obeisances before him, the pharaoh passed to his cabinet. That was a lofty hall with alabaster walls on which in gold and bright colors were depicted the most famous events in the reign of Ramses XII therefore homage given him by the inhabitants of Mesopotamia, the embassy from the king of Buchtin, and the triumphal journey of the god Konchu through the land of that Potenin. In this hall was the Malachite statue of the bird-headed Horus, adorned with gold and jewels. In front of the statue was an altar, shaped as a truncated pyramid, the king's armor, costly armchairs and stools, also tables covered with trifles and small objects. When the pharaoh appeared, one of the priests burnt incense before him, and one of the officials announced Prince Ramses, who soon entered and bowed low before his father. On the expressive face of the prince, feverish disquiet was evident. Erpatar, I rejoice, said the pharaoh, that thou hast returned in good health from a difficult journey. Mayest thou live through eternity, holiness, and thy affairs fill the two worlds, replied Ramses. My military advisers have just informed me of thy labor and prudence. The heir's face quivered and changed. He fixed great eyes on the pharaoh and listened. Thy deeds will not remain without reward. Thou wilt receive ten talents, a great chain, and two Greek regiments, which thou wilt exercise. Ramses was amazed, but after a while he asked with stifled voice, But the corps in Memphis? Any year we will repeat the maneuvers. Thou wilt make no mistake in leading the army, thou wilt get the corps. I know that Herhor did this, cried the priest, hardly restraining his anger. He looked around and added, I can never be alone with thee, my father. Strangers are always between us. The pharaoh moved his brows slightly, and his suite vanished like a crowd of shadows. What hast thou to tell me? Only one thing, father. Herhor is my enemy. He accused me to thee and exposed me to this shame. In spite of his posture of obedience, the prince gnawed his lips and bawled his fists. Herhor is thy friend and my faithful servant. It was his persuasion that made thee heir to the throne. But I will not confide a corps to a youthful leader who lets himself be cut off from his army. 
I joined it, answered the questioner. But Herhor commanded to march around two beetles. Thus thou wished that a priest should make light of religion in the presence of the army? My father, whispered Ramses with quivering voice. To avoid spoiling the journey of the beetles, a canal was destroyed and a man was killed. That man raised his own hands on himself. But that was the fault of Herhor. In the regiments, which thou didst concentrate near Pi Balios, thirty men died from overexertion, and several hundred are sick. The prince dropped his head. Ramses, continued the pharaoh, though thy lips is speaking not a dignitary of the state who is thinking of the soundness of canals and the lives of laborers, but an angry person. Anger does not accord with justice any more than a falcon with a dove. Oh, my father, burst out the air, if anger carries me away, it is because I feel the ill will of priests and of Erhor. But thou art thyself the grandson of a high priest. The priest taught thee. Thou hast learned more of their secrets than any other prince ever has. I have learned their instalable pride and greed of power, and because I will abridge it, they are my enemies. Herhor is not willing to give me even a court for he wishes to manage the whole army. When he had thrown out these incautious words, the heir was frightened, but the ruler raised his clear glance and answered quietly, I manage the state and the army. From me flow all commands and decisions. In this world, I am the balance of Osiris, and I myself weigh the services of my servants, be they the heir, a minister, or the people. Imprudent would he be who should think that all intrigues are not known to me. But, Father, if thou hast seen with thy own eyes the course of the maneuvers, I might have seen a leader, interrupted the pharaoh, who in the decisive moment was chasing through the bushes after an Israelite maiden, but I do not wish to observe such stupidity. The prince fell at his father's feet and whispered, Did Tutmosius speak to thee of that lord? Tutmosius is a child, just as thou art. He piles up depths as chief of staff in the core of Memphis, and thinks in his heart that the eyes of the pharaoh cannot reach to his deeds in the desert. End of chapter 6